Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Is rural Ireland dying? Young farmers march to highlight what they say is the decline of the country way of life. I've been walking since the pie last night. It's been difficult and challenging, but it's nothing compared to the challenge we face trying to get the government to listen to us. More mortgage pain on the way for hard-pressed families. What's coming down the tracks for consumers? And later, today's report on abortion services here. We hear some views on what it means. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Ireland dying? That's the question we ask tonight after a day of protest on this issue. Young farmers walked 80 kilometres from Athai in Kildare to the Thal today to highlight the serious issues they say are affecting them. Organised by Mochrana Firma, demonstrators say that government is failing in areas like housing and transport. And they spoke to our reporter, Paul Quinn. We want the government to invest in rural Ireland. We want them to invest in rural youth. Our public services, our healthcare services, our educational, and we want them to provide a future for young farmers. Only 6% of the active farm population is under 35. That's 1 in 16. Put out a full GA team, they're all over the age of 35. That's the current state of affairs in Irish agriculture. Out of my 12, the friend group of 12, I, I am the only one left in Claremorris. So between Canada, Australia, um, Holland, um, and so many more places we've just dispersed and, and you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's really, really heartbreaking. So we're walking to try and be finally heard and hopefully have a progressive future and a reason to stay. That's all we want is a reason to stay where we were born. I've been walking since the high last night. It's been difficult and challenging, but it's nothing compared to the challenge we face trying to get the government to listen to us. Do you really feel that is the case, that people in rural Ireland, that they, they feel ignored? We are ignored, definitely. This has been happening for a long time and getting worse. And we at Mocker have been knocking on the door of government for long enough, putting practical solutions to them, and we just haven't been heard or properly engaged with. Well, I'm joined on my panel by Minister of State Jack Chambers, Independent TD Marion Harkin, Independent.ie Head of News Kevin Doyle, and Amy McKeever from The Farmer's Journal. We're also joined on Skype tonight by Ashling O'Keefe from Makra Nafirma. You're all very welcome along to the programme. And Ashling, I wish to come to you first because um, you're from Cork. You didn't walk from Cork today, but you did get to uh, Athai, uh, to Makra Nafirma's founding uh, headquarters, and you walked through the night to the gates of Leinster House with those people that our reporter Paul Quinn was speaking to earlier. Uh, why did you decide to join this march? Um, so I joined um, the rest of my Mocker and Affirma colleagues in, in marching from Athai to Dublin. Um, 
to save the future of rural Ireland and make sure that there is um, a vibrant community in rural Ireland for myself, my family, my siblings and future generations to come. Okay, so specifically, um, like from hearing what your colleagues had to say and other people who took to the march is, you know, we're looking for a reason to stay where we were born. Uh, people feeling ignored. Um, do you feel ignored uh, by government? Do you feel your way of life is being ignored and your future is being ignored? Definitely, and I think that's evident by the mass immigration that's taking place at the moment from young people all over Ireland and many of our own MACRA members. Um, I suppose MACRA has been lobbying and engaging with the government um, for many years, but we just haven't been getting um, active engagement. They haven't been um, considering our proposals and we want active engagement and progress going forward. And what are the specific issues um that are making young people like you in rural Ireland so worried, Ashling? Um, I suppose some of the biggest issues include the accessibility um, to affordable housing and the cumbersome planning regulations, um, the lack of rural transport, um, issues around accessing healthcare, um, and there's many agricultural issues, including the proposals to re-wet large areas of rural Ireland. Um, the lack of engagement on a succession scheme for farmers and the definition recently of a family farm as average or typical. Okay, and also I suppose, you know, people may be surprised to see that only 6% of farmers are under the age of 35. Um, are you among that small cohort who will stay on in farming? Yeah, so I currently am... Um, work full-time as an accountant but I also farm at home um, every day with my parents and hope to continue that long into the future and um, hopefully with the help of um, I suppose if the government actively engage with us that will be a possibility. Okay let's bring the panel in at this point and um, Minister Jack Chambers I want to come to you first. Um, you know the fact that six percent of farmers are under the age of 35 that'll come as well I don't know not a surprise to people like Ashling. And, and people in her family and her friends, because they don't feel that way of life is sustainable right now. What do you say to all these young people, young voices in, in rural Ireland that the government you know, would say they're trying to reach out to and they're trying to connect with, that they feel utterly ignored? Well, I want to thank uh, Ashing and, and many of her colleagues who uh, came to the Dáil today. They had a very uh, constructive engagement with Minister Charlie McConlogue and with the Taoiseach as well. Uh, and we want to actively engage on all of their issues uh, and actually to engage in, in what they've set out. And their generational renewal is absolutely important for the future of Irish agriculture, for the future of rural Ireland. And this government is committed to investing in many of the issues that Ashling spoke to and, and what Macron and Firma want us to do. So if you take, for example, in my own department, we've increased uh, rural uh, bus transport by 25%. Huge increases of connectivity in rural Ireland, but we have to do more. Similarly, when it comes to healthcare, we, uh, strengthening primary and community care within rural Ireland, I know, uh, is an issue that uh, is, is we have to make further progress on. But if you look at what Minister McConnell negotiated as part of the new Common Agricultural Policy, a 50% increase in direct payments for young farmers, that started in 2023, a really substantive measure, and I think will make a real difference in persuading uh, young people in rural Ireland, but also 
um, farmers in rural Ireland that they're part of, as the guardians of their land, as a key part of our agri-food industry. Uh, we want to work with them uh, to ensure that we continue to sustain that trade and continue to sustain vibrancy right. and strong economic development okay. in rural Ireland. What I'd also say as well is, through uh, with Minister Humphreys and the Department of Rural and Community Development, um, a billion euro as part of the rural regeneration scheme. We're seeing remote working hubs. Um, All right. We're, we're trying to address. You're listing out a lot of we're, things but, that you're, but, say but you're I, doing. But, 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 that, but, but fundamentally, I'm, is there then a disconnect between what you say you're doing and the, uh, the feeling on the ground? But, well, that's why engagement is really important. And I, that's why I met some of the representatives from Macra on Monday myself. Um, I said Minister McConlog met them today. Uh, and we have to listen and we have to respond and we have to. Uh, shape our policies uh, in, in response to the issues that many young people are, are raising with us. But I think it's important to set out as well the pipeline of investment that we're making, how, how sincere we are about trying right. to uh, strengthen rural Ireland. If you take the announcement from Minister Dara O'Brien this week on housing, for example, €70,000 to address uh, derelict properties uh, in rural villages and towns across the country, which I think will make a real difference there as well, and a, and a €50,000 grant uh, for vacant properties. Uh, and that's trying to help uh, many young people who want to uh, own their own home or uh, rent an affordable property uh, within parts of okay. rural Ireland. So, you, but, but it's important we listen and, and respond, and, and I thank Ashling for Do you know what I'm going to do? Do you know, just on listening and response and engagement, just to come back to you, Ashling, if you're still with us, um, I don't know if you had a chance to hear what uh, Mr Jack Chambers had to say there. Uh, what do you make of that list, I suppose, of achievements that the, the government would say they're doing in response to, to I suppose, to, to farmers, to farming life, to people in rural Ireland? I suppose one of the, the big things I picked up on as Jack was speaking was um, the 25% increase in in rural transport. I suppose I live um, in a rural area. Um, I am on a main road, but uh, there is no bus passing here um, every day. Every member of my family, six of us have to take a car on the road to get to, to wherever we need to be. There is no bus and there is no rural transport. Um, and I suppose on the ag issues, um, the government or Jack has set out what the government are doing, but there is a lot more to do. And um, the government, uh, the Taoiseach, the ministers met us today. Um, I suppose it was it was a positive meeting, but we need action now, and we need follow up, and we need to make sure that that the the promises made um, are are kept. Okay. Just say we're we're committed, and I thank Ashing for her contribution there. It's, we've obviously had a twenty five percent increase in bus connectivity in rural Ireland. Um, but it's there, still not passing her door. No, I accept that, and we have a lot more to do. Okay, um, but we're right. we're committed to uh, really transforming our investment in, in rural transport, and, and we've made some progress. Yes. But we obviously okay. have to roll it out further for uh, All in, right. in areas like. I just I want to bring reference. the rest of the panel in now at this point, Marion. Um, do you think that there's a, a perception of farmers that you know that you know, they're a well-to-do group and they're doing well for themselves versus the reality? and that people are, are, are actually facing with regards to not alone transport links, but basic survival of their livelihood. I couldn't imagine that that impression is out there. All you have to do is look at the stats, at the figures, at the income levels. And one of the young men who was speaking at the beginning of the programme, I chatted him for a long time. He's from Clare Morris. And he said something to me that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, we have the Canadian dream. We have the Australian dream. But he said, where is the Irish dream? And he said, it was a time if you were left the farm, which was seen as a privilege. He said, now it's like a ball and chain. His exact words. And, and I asked him why. 
And he said, first of all, the uncertainty, all of the changes that are coming about through land use, the proposals on re-wetting, the doubling of forestry, new designations. But I think more than anything else, that farmers feel as if the finger is pointed at them. Mm. You're to blame for emissions. And rather than working with farmers, what people hear is about reduction exit strategies rather than investment and finding solutions. And that was the real sense that I got from many of the people there today. And those people had walked through the night, so they didn't do this for the fun of it. They left their farms, they left their homes. They, they did this because they wanted to be heard. Mm. I'm not saying that the government aren't doing certain things. Yeah. And yes, transport has increased by 25%, but from a shockingly low base, from nothing in some places. One girl told me today, you have to often travel an hour, an hour and a half, just to see a doctor. That is, if you can get on the list. So there are real challenges. And I think what they wanted to do was articulate them and make sure that those challenges were heard mm. and addressed. Okay. Well, uh, there was a meeting around all of this, Kevin, and a positive note seemed to be coming from that meeting that, you know, as Jack says, the government will say we are listening and we are engaging with young people and we appreciate the journey they made to the doll in order to talk to us. Um, what's the political mood like in these communities, though? Well, two things struck me from the march today. One was the power of farmers. I think you don't have to go back too far in history that the farming lobby groups were by far the most powerful and feared around Leinster House. They were the people that TDs were slipping out to meet in Buswell's Hotel or wherever else around Kildare Street uh, because they were seen as the biggest lobby group. Now, I think they have fallen down the pecking order. They are behind, I would argue, the vintners, uh, some of the tech companies who don't need lobby groups. They'll lobby all by themselves. And so they aren't top of the priority list in the way that they might have been in the past. And that's possibly part of why that narrative has been spoken about, that they're not being listened to, because they are so not that seen sense, as the same So that Kevin, space. that if you don't have a big lobby group behind you, you're likely to, to, get, to get ignored to an extent on the list of government priorities. It's all about the lobby. It's all about well, that it, push. It does matter. Uh, the truth of it is you provide a body of, of people who are potential voters and a government will listen. And so that's why the, the march was quite impactful. But having said that, Claire. There are protests, as Marion and Jack would know, outside government buildings and outside Leinster House, almost week in, week out. Very, very few of them get invited inside the gates. Today, the people from Mockra did get invited inside the gates. So they're not, uh, they still have a say in this. And the other thing that struck me as being interesting was that actually what they're, and Marion listed out some of them, what they're complaining about are actually a lot of the topics that young people everywhere are complaining about, not just in rural Ireland, about getting healthcare, transport, housing, all the rest of it. Young people in Dublin have the very same concerns. So it, it's interesting. It's a bit of a rural Ireland revolt because maybe they haven't been heard for a while. Yeah, it's not, Amy, just the farming story here. It's actually a broader picture, isn't it? You're talking about people who aren't living um, in the big cities, but all those issues around housing, around transport, around immigration, um, affordability, all of that coming home to play, it's, it's, a, it's a nationwide issue. The, the, the 
the, the list of, um, of requests by Mocker today really were a confluence of, of, of a lot of things that are impacting everybody and not just in rural Ireland and not just youth, like transport in rural Ireland, healthcare in rural Ireland. We're, we're going to lose 700 GPs in rural Ireland in the next five years. We're going to need 2,000 to replace those. And realistically speaking, it's going to be a difficulty to keep those trained doctors in the country. These are issues and, the, and that kind of negativity and information is coming at young people and they are looking down the tracks and going, well, what's my future? And I would go to the, the uncertainty point. If we, the the re-wetting was mentioned there and the re-wetting is a, is a really big issue in terms of that uncertainty because it's like we don't know what the impact is going to be, we don't know how much land is going to be impacted and we don't know how that will impact on farmers' incomes um, into the future. But with the issues that um, Mocker raised today, you have the transport and the healthcare and they are general issues. But I would say that the, the issue on specifically on the farming side really is a case of that policy had pushed farmers in a certain direction over a long period of time, got a very, very good, safe food system running in this country. We do a really, really, really good job um, based on the policies that were introduced and the handbrake has now been pulled up for environmental yeah, reasons. That and sense that's, that there's a yeah. lot of change there. But that but, it's just too fast. But it, it's that, not a case you can't you can't pull up the handbrake that fast and that, expect everybody you, what, to just what, accept it. I guess the question is, you know, what happens at that point, you know, if if there is obviously a lot of sentiment and a lot of push towards change uh, to keep up with you know, climate it, targets that it are would be there shown, though, that the agricultural youth, sector that, that yeah. needs to youth adapt will, to youth, that. Youth are better at adapting. You know what I mean? Uh, like, it's, it's proven that, you know what I mean, the youth can look and say, okay, what's going to work for my farm? You know, and farmers are adaptable. What's going to work for my farm? How can I make this work? How will, how will I raise my family from what I can produce on my farm? And they will adapt. And I think that's why, you know, you had a succession meetings this week. IFA had a thousand older farmers in two rooms this week wanting to retire. And how do I do that? And you have young farmers marching to Dublin. So there's definitely somewhere to meet in the middle between those two groups. And I think if we could meet in the middle, then we're going to have this rise up in, in rural Ireland to support the environment and farming and their future. Yeah, that's a, a, something I'm interested in, Ashling, from your point of view um, um, on, I suppose, the whole issue around climate and sustainability and where farmers are being told they need to go. But we're also hearing that farmers are hugely incentivised to do that. And if anyone has the energy to change around their business and actually make it worthwhile and profitable for them in, in a kind of sustainable way, it, it is young farmers. Are they enthused at all about the idea that, yeah, change is coming about, but it actually could be good for them? Yeah, I think definitely. And I think the biggest thing is young farmers are open and ready to embrace the change. Um, they'll embrace the new technology. They'll embrace the new regulations. But they need to be given the opportunity and the time to implement the new policies. At the moment, our policies are changing so rapidly, it's hard to see any results from any of them because they're just being changed too often. Mm -hmm. So we need to set a policy, we need to stick to it, and we need to give the young farmers an opportunity to implement the policies that are there and to, and to, to see the results because the young farmers are energised and they are... Um, looking forward to and capable of, of providing um, the changes that are needed. Okay, yeah, Marion, you're saying that's exactly yeah, it. That, exactly that, it. That, that, that maybe there's a lot there, but it's sort of overwhelming or it's constantly, yes, it's the it's constantly changing. What's constantly coming at farmers, young farmers, farmers of all ages. We've mentioned re-wetting a few times. That's part of the nature restoration policy uh, where we look at there's about 300,000 mm. hectares of drained peatlands in Ireland. 
70% of those will have to be restored or rewetted under the current European Commission proposal. It hasn't been decided by government yet. Of course not. And, and, but the, and, no, I, and, there's a really yeah. important point here. When the Commission came forward with this proposal last June, all governments have a six-week period where they can issue what's called a yellow card to the Commission to say, we have concerns about this. A number of countries did. I can find no evidence that Ireland did. And when you talk about impacting 300,000 hectares, 70% of it, it's no wonder that farmers are concerned. We're doubling our forestry okay. cover and we're looking at extra designations. It's the cumulative impact. It's one thing after another, after another. And farmers are really uncertain and they don't have a sense that at government there is somebody, you know, listening to what they're saying and making the case right. from their perspective. Um, what does that say about um, your colleague, uh, Fianna Fáil colleague, Minister Charlie McConnell, in this regard, in terms of that sense that... There's, there, there, there's so many different moving parts to all the changes that are required of them and that they don't feel confident, they don't feel assured and they certainly don't feel that they have a certain future. Well, I think if you've heard the feedback from Ashton and, and others that, that have engaged with Minister McConnell Oak today, um, he's very constructive in his approach mm. and what he delivered through the Common Agricultural Policy and the changes there are, is a significant increase in direct payments for young farmers which will improve incomes. Um, secondly, through the uh, Capital uh, Targeted Agriculture Modernisation Scheme, there's 300 items around... Uh, that farmers, in terms of their overall investment, to write off on new technologies, which will 370 million euro of support. Um, but look, we have, there's a, as others have said, there's a wide range of issues here in health, and uh, in, tra worried, in transport. That you, that, I mean, when you hear the likes of Michael Fitzmaurice um, sounding out a rural political party, having a meeting about it, I think there was, you know, 20, 20 odd attending that meeting, maybe considering their options there. Now they're independent, so it might be hard to well, uh, just say that this, form a this party. But does that worry you? Does that concern you? Coupled with well, this sort of marching we're seeing, young give, farmers feeling the future. As I've said, we want to listen and engage and respond. But okay. I, what I would say is the level of, of investment in rural Ireland is unprecedented uh, around addressing dereliction. Uh, the population of rural Ireland is, is increasing. Look at the census in 2022. It isn't the case that we're having um, mass numbers leaving rural Ireland. The, the census actually reflected increases in population. But we have to make sure we have viable and sustainable future for many of our young farmers. And, and okay. under, uh, underpinning right. that uh, with investment is what the core government strategy is okay. uh, and the common agricultural policy negotiated by Minister McConnell will achieve that. Okay, we'll have to leave that there. Um, got plenty of time on that. Um, I think we've got all the points on that. We do have to leave that there. But my thanks to Amy and uh, to Ashling, who joined us on Skype tonight with her own experience, joined us from Cork. We appreciate that. Uh, the others are staying on with me. Uh, because coming up next, fears of more mortgage rate hikes ahead. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Hard-pressed families are facing more mortgage pain in the months ahead with speculation that the European Central Bank is set to hike interest rates further before the end of the summer. The issue came up in the Dáil today. These hikes mean taking a hit of thousands of euros a year for many, with some now paying interest rates as high as 8%. These are colossal sums of money and totally unaffordable for people on ordinary incomes. In relation to mortgages, Deputy, I understand that a lot of people uh, are seeing big increases in their mortgage payments, uh, particularly people uh, who have tracker mortgages, 
receiving that letter in the post every couple of weeks at this stage from the bank, uh, telling them that their mortgage has gone up. But tax measures are a matter for the budget. Uh, when it comes to the budget, we will consider all the different suggestions and ideas uh, for tax concessions. And there will be a tax package in the budget, but it won't be possible to include everything in that tax package. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Former panel is still here with me, Minister of State Jack Chambers, Independent TD Marion Harkin, and Independent.ie Head of News uh, Kevin Doyle. I was about to say Independent TD, but you're not. Uh, I'm also I'm also just bring to me here. I'm also joined by mortgage expert Joey Sheehan from MyMortgages.ie. Um, you're very welcome along, uh, Joey. I'm going to bring you in here first on this. These sort of increases that we are. Um, being told about, they will strike fear in the hearts of, of homeowners, mortgage holders. Uh, there's talk of three interest rate rises by July, the first of which could possibly come next week. Yeah, Claire. so it's worrying times for um, all mortgage holders, but in particular tracker mortgage holders, who we've seen a 3.5% increase since July last year. Um, it's anticipated we'll see probably another 1% based on comments by Philip Lane and others uh, within the European Central Bank, which would bring a total increase to in the region of 4.5%. Now, tracker mortgage holders had it very good for uh, a number of years, and uh, you know they were paying 1%, maybe on average, over zero. Now they'll be paying 1% over 3.5%, possibly up to 4.5%. So I, I actually looked at a report that the Central Bank issued this week, and... The average mortgage outstanding on a tracker mortgage is in the region of 224,000. If we take an average term remaining of, we'll say, 15 years, this means that within you know a short space of time, if the ECB hits four and a half, which it probably will, uh, these people will see an additional 6,000 a year in interest that they're paying. So it, it is directly affecting every tracker mortgage holder. Mm -hmm. um, it probably will affect all standard variable and fixed rate holders as well. Now, they don't, they're not directly correlated the same as a tracker mortgage, but in time, it, it's likely that the banks will pass on these was, uh, rates. Yeah, that was my next question, because the banks held off on passing on the rates to variable rate um, mortgage holders initially. Um, are, are they doing it now? Are they consistently doing it now since, um, since Christmas, really? They're beginning to, but... Yes, they're beginning to, but at the moment, the ECB is 35 we still have some rates as low as 3.25 and in the threes up to 4%, which relatively are actually exceptionally good values. So we see, we're seeing a lot of tracker mortgage holders 
reaching out to us, uh, different brokers, because we have d- different banks we can access. And they're basically looking to fix now for five years, 10 years, whatever the case may be, so that they have certainty around their repayments. If you're struggling at the moment to meet your repayment, and if another 1% could tip you over the edge, a lot of people are opting for the certainty and fixing in for anywhere between three and a quarter up to maybe four, four and a quarter percent. And at least they know for the next fixed rate period, five years or whatever the case may be, they know that the, the payment is set for that time. All right. OK, um, let's bring our panel in here. And uh, Marion Harkin, when you hear, I suppose, what, what Joey's outlining and actually how much it's likely to cost people who are going from like no changes from zero to 4.5% in the space yeah. of a year and how that's impacting yeah. them. Um, what, what would you like to see in the way of, of relief potentially from the state around this? Do you think that is an intervention that is, that is needed now? It's absolutely needed. And he said that, I think the average mortgage, he said, is 224,000, 4.5% increase, and that is working out at roughly 840 euro extra every single month. Now, there was a proposal put forward by Sinn Féin last night and two, two months ago about you know, mortgage interest relief, where one third of the extra would be if you like, repaid to the mortgage holder and that it will be capped at €1,500. So it's not like the old mortgage interest relief schemes we had in place where the better off did did much better out of them. This would be capped and uh, it would be just one third of the extra. And I did hear the minister last night saying, look, government can't do everything. But actually, that's not everything. That's going about one third of the way. And obviously, people would be encouraged to, to fix their mortgages where they can. But the, the people I feel most pity and sympathy for are those whose mortgages are held by vulture funds yes. who are paying, as Mary Lou MacDonald said, up to 8%. I mean, that's paralysing. Yeah. And, and there's and about 60,000 60, people with those who are particularly caught up in that. Yeah. So the mortgages were sold off and then they're tied in with investment funds. And yeah. Well, there's a couple of issues here, really, then. On the issue, firstly, um, uh, Jack, around providing mortgage interest relief at this time when we're seeing these you know, rapid rate <clears> rises <throat> and we're likely to see one next week and two more before July. And it's really uncertain about where it's going to go beyond that. Could go up again and again. The Taoiseach even saying, you know, in the doll today, you know, we, we kind of can't make promises to people because we, we may just continue to see these, these rate rises. Look, I acknowledge it's very difficult for many people that have a, a, a variable or a tracker mortgage. Um, and that's why Minister McGrath is, has ongoing engagement with the central bank on the consumer protection code and, um, and uh, well it, it's there as a framework to provide um, support and help for anyone that might get into financial difficulty as a result of the interest rate rises okay, so that's that the banks would engage with people so they don't yeah, fall into that's, arrears that's obviously one one element but i accept is that we, enough well but i'd say that's one element of it he's also um, asked the central bank to develop a uh, review the the switching code so that for people that want to switch mortgages this is a better framework of regulation around that um, to facilitate people to fix. Um, now, one thing is of, of 93% of new mortgages are fixed, and um, so they have a degree of certainty into the, into the for the period of that they fixed their mortgage. Um, but as the Taoiseach said today, it's important when we decide budgetary policy that it's done in a comprehensive 
structured, strategic way, uh, and particularly when we're That's making fine. when we're developing tax policy. Right. And, the, and there's a wide you're making decisions. I mean, are the rumblings towards, or the, the, the I mean, obviously we're seeing the opposition strongly and, and independents like Marion saying you need something in place. You need a mortgage interest uh, relief scheme in place to help people right now because we're seeing such huge increases in monthly repayments. And I mean, is this something that the government would even entertain? Fair enough to say we're not going to do it now, but, you know, well, we would like to do that. Well, as, as Minister McGrath will set out the summer economic statement and then um, we'll have a, a tax package and obviously a further supports in the context of co the cost of so living. So you are, are you what looking I, towards that? Well, or is there what a, I would say is that there will be a tax package, um, but, but we're, there's been no decisions made uh, either way. Um, but there will be a comprehensive level of support. We've, we've had €12 billion Euro of support in the context of the cost of living difficulties, the inflationary crisis that we're in. Um, but it's important to, uh, to balance that against making uh, overall economic decision-making and tax policy should be made in a budgetary context, okay. not, not every right. couple of months okay, changing, changing tax, uh, taxation. Yeah, uh, you see, um, Jack's talking about budgetary context here. But, Kevin, when it comes to this, when we had news last week about how we are rolling in a budget surplus... Um, Politically, this is kind of difficult and the contrast with people who are struggling to pay their bills and, and the kind of hikes that people are seeing, that, that is politically hard to swallow, isn't it? Yeah, well, ever since COVID, we now kind of have this expectation that the government will intervene when things get particularly difficult. And we are very lucky to be in a position where there are billions rolling in that were unexpected, um, even in the short term. Um, so... There is lots of money there. The problem for the government, and we're six months out from the budget, is how do you keep everybody happy? And we're getting closer to an election time, so there is going to be a want to spend that money. But if you think back to the last budget, we had the renter's credit come in, which was about a €1,000, I think, for couples. Um, there's a couple of schemes for first-time buyers, and now it's people with mortgages. So everybody's getting squeezed. And so when you start to spill out the money a little bit here and a little bit there, it doesn't amount to a huge amount for individuals. So every little help. But the challenge the government are going to have to do is trying to say, we can't spend all that massive amount of money we have, and yet everybody now needs it. Because even if you think of first-time buyers who are finding it very hard to even find houses to buy, they're the ones getting mortgages too that are going to be, OK, they're starting off on fixed rates, but they're going to be much higher fixed rates than people yeah. who got mortgaged three, four, five years yeah. ago. Interesting, isn't it? Because like some would say, and, and we keep hearing um, from you know, the Department of Housing about all these schemes that are in place, help to buy scheme, first, first home scheme, all in place to help first-time buyers. But if they wanted to borrow something in the region of, say, um, you know, €300,000 or otherwise... Their mortgage repayments will have gone up about five or six hundred euro now in the space of a year since they took out that mortgage. Well, if if they're on a if they're on a fixed rate, um, they, depending on on the timeline of when they took out their mortgage or whether they're, they're on a variable okay. rate. Well, but if we they are, were to we, buy last year, yeah. okay, they didn't they, the find the house, and now they're going. Yeah, up in yeah, their yeah. mortgage no, repayment I, would have been let's say I, just over a thousand euro. It's now potentially looking. No, at I, I accept it. It is it is more expensive, and we're in a we're in a, an inflationary environment, and in, we don't control. Obviously, monetary policy is decided by the European Central Bank, and and every mortgage holder across the European Union is facing the same interest rate hikes. What I would say is that the, um, we have the third lowest interest rates in the European Union. We're more competitive than many of our European countries. Right. Um, but but we, we have provided unprecedented level of supports, much more than uh, many other economies across the European Union, 12 billion euro of cost of living package. And it's important as well to say we, we, need to be, we need to be wary of chasing inflation and not having an inflationary uh, uh, spiral uh, 
in the context of overall economic decision making. Yeah, and that's why it's important. Okay. And I, I said that we make strategic decisions on tax policy right. in a budget. I hear what you're and saying about on that, Marian. strategic decisions in the budget. But Jack, if you look back to last July, nobody could have foreseen that we would have had so many interest rate increases. I mean, even the idea that in the next two to three months, we'll probably have three more. I think we'll have had nine increases. That's almost one a month. Nobody could have foreseen that. And when unforeseen events happen, people do look to government to respond. And I'm not saying you have an, an endless supply of money. And to be fair, this government has managed the economy in such a way that there is money to spend. But that money needs to be spent now. And I think a lot of people out there who are dreading the letters that will come into their letterbox telling them about the next increase and the one after mm -hmm. that and the one after that will be saying, you've got some money in the kitty. We need to see the colour okay. of some of that money before the budget. All right, we will leave that conversation there for now. My thanks uh, to Joey, uh, to Jack, to Marion and to Kevin. Um, that's it for now. But coming up after the break, we will discuss that new report and review of abortion services in this country. That's coming up next. A decision has been made regarding legislative changes to the state's abortion laws, the Taoiseach has told us all. It does follow the publication of a major report on abortion services here. I'm joined now by Aintu TD, Pather Tobin and Alana Ryan from the National Women's Council to discuss all of this. Um, you're both very welcome along to the programme. Of course, the recommendations were published from Dr. Uh, Marie O'Shea's review of our abortion services and it will now be examined by, by legislators with a view to amending the law where necessary. So this review is all part and parcel of, of, of the legislation that came about as a re result of the repeal vote and the changes that were made. Does uh, it tally, the recommendations tally, Alana, with what you are hearing from women? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the thing to acknowledge here is that while repeal has delivered care for many women in Ireland and that's to be celebrated, there are still far too many barriers for access and that's why it's so important that we see not only operational changes on the back of this review, but also those legislative changes. And that's why we've been calling for over a year for evidence-led legislative reform. OK, on this, among, um, I suppose, one of the, the, the key proposals or recommendations, um, Pather, is the suggestion to remove the three-day wait for women who are less than 12 weeks pregnant and um, wish to receive abortion medication. It is described as a contentious issue in Dr O'Shea's report, but she says it can impose a physical and psychological burden on women. What would be your opinion on potentially moving that weight? Well, I think people will be shocked uh, by this uh, report. This report reads like a manifesto from people before profit, to be honest. It's like a polemic... Uh, Why are you picking people before profit now on be, this particular issue? I mean, be, no, because this is such a polemic for furthering abortion access. It's such, a, it's such a biased report in terms of abortion. So, for example, it doesn't talk in... It, doesn't, it hardly mentions uh, the unborn child in the report at all. And we've had, like, you know, 28,500 unborn babies aborted so far well, under is, the legislation. It and is a review of abortion services in Ireland and what's being provided to women who wish to terminate yeah, their pregnancies. Yeah, and 50% of all pregnancies have uh, an unborn child. And, mm. you know, it is heartbreaking to think that the equivalent to 1,120 classrooms of children have been aborted in this state already. The equivalent to the city of Kilkenny and, you know, what we should be looking at is ways to give women positive options in relation to 
trying to raise their families to their full potential. So, for example, this report doesn't look at the reasons why women are, women are having abortions. And 85% of women have abortions for socioeconomic reasons, according to the Committee for the Eighth Amendment itself. You know, so we have women who but are... Was that, within the, was that within the review here of all of this? Wasn't the review to look at our abortion services and the health care that's available to women who wish to seek a termination in this country? The review was in relation to the uh, abortion services. So, so for example, um, many people in this country do, would have voted yes in the referendum, but many people would also want uh, abortions to be rare, uh, for example. So many people listened to the government when they said there would be a three-day wait period. This is an enormous decision. We know that 4,000 women went to the first abortion consultation and didn't go to the second abortion consultation. There's no evidence in this report that any of those women were actually spoken to. We know that there are hundreds of children every year who, ha- who are alive today as a result of that three-day All right, look, uh, I want to bring um, Alana um, back in on this. Um, what do you say to what Pather says, that people voted in the referendum because they were assured or that there will be certain restrictions in place, certain safeguards, if you like, in, in place one among them being this three-day cooling-off period that now may be scrapped. Well, Simon Harris said back in 2018 that it would be wholly irresponsible for us as legislators to pass legislation on such an important issue to do with women's health and not keep it under review. And that's why we've had this process. And absolutely, that is an evidence-informed process. We have a study from Trinity College. We have a study from Manchester Metropolitan University. We've had a robust public consultation. We've had the WHO guidelines, which came out just last year, All of these pieces are informing this process. And that's why Mary O'Shea, an independent chair, a barrister with credible expertise, has recommended substantive changes. And it is now incumbent on our politicians to deliver on that through the health committee process. I mean, Pather, like... I know that you mentioned that um, for many women who went to, you know, seek abortion medication and were told to wait the three days, that you say quite a substantial number of them, you know, did not did not go for the next um, for the next consultation. But we don't know why that was. Well, first off, there are different there are varying figures on that. So we have the Irish Family Planning Association saying that almost 500 women attended their clinic for abortion services in 2021, and 97.5% went ahead with their termination. So only 2.5% decided within those three days actually no. Yeah, so I've put in a parliamentary question to the minister. The minister came back and said that 4,000 mothers didn't go ahead with an abortion uh, over the and last... We, and we don't know... Sorry, so, can I just come and, in here? And, and, because and, I think no, that just there's some on this misleading point. data and, being shared. And in the, it, it's really important. The, the three-day uh, wait is important. This is a an enormous decision. It's an irreversible decision. I just, we can't bring the child back to life. So, and to, to, just you know, the four, that figure of 4,000, that's, that's something you just... That's has, it's, it's a parliamentary answer from the minister in terms of the number of women who attended uh, the first abortion consultation and who didn't attend the second abortion uh, consultation. Alana. So the GPs have an obligation to refer on to the maternity hospitals at nine weeks. If there is any reason to suspect that there may be complications due to the woman's prior health history, they refer on before that. So that is why only one GP consultation will be registered. Okay, so on that, let's move on now because I want to talk about access to services. Mm. It forms a big part of this review. Uh, Stephen Donnelly saying only 11 out of 19 maternity hospitals providing services. He says that is unacceptable. Whatever your view 
Would you concede that there's an inequality here? It's something you talk about in various other matters in the doll, like outside of outside of this particular issue, Pather, um, mm. and that there is discrimination based on geography. Well, there's no doubt there's inequality. Inequality is leading to the number of abortions we have. We know that, OK? We know that the poorer you are, if you, okay, let's you know, just talk about you're more likely to, to have an abortion. Or maybe because, you're, maybe because it isn't available in your area. OK, so but, the, and there are we've got to ask ourselves, why is it the case that there's la lack of access to services? 90% of doctors refuse to carry out abortions in this state. And this report is pointing at, pointing at trying to get rid of aspects of the conscientious objection that doctors may have in terms of this. So, you know, if... Do if... we know? Do we know why we have... We have 422 GPs providing the service. Alana, on this, um, that does mark an increase on pre-COVID numbers. It's Tiny. still... It's still... We're talking about 422 GPs out of... There know, are three primary reasons why we don't have equitable access in primary care. The first being that our maternity hospitals are not providing full care in line with the law. GPs need a clear referral pathway into a local maternity hospital. The absence of backup directly impacts GPs' ability to provide care in the community. The second reason being the lack of safe access zones. We need to have support for GPs to ensure they are protected from harassment and intimidation and for their patients alike. The third reason being that abortion is still within a criminal code. And that's why it's so heartening to see this report recognise that we need to decriminalise abortion. Do you believe that has a, a chilling effect? Absolutely. If, if they feel they, they, they stray outside or they make they make a decision that they could be they could be prosecuted up for up to fourteen years in prison, and that's what yeah. GPs are telling us is a it's, really it's, big factor in Heather, their decision to Heather, provide. The, the report does say that the research indicates that the majority of issues um, around GP provision relate to capacity, excessive workload, the staff being available to them. Something Stephen Donnelly said: Look, we do need to look at more training in the area. We do need to look at easing the workload, um, the ability for GPs to provide this uh, service. So would you agree with, with that and also around the issue of providers um, in the hospital setting, while there may be conscientious objections in, within the hospital, that really, if we, if we are providing a, a service, which we are duty-bound to do because people voted for that, that we need to have those services available in all our maternity hospitals? Well, first of all, right, we have a thousand too few consultants in this country. There is reports that in future... They're going to advertise consultants' posts only on the basis of consultants are happy to provide abortions. Now, if we go down that route, we are simply going to push away more consultants away from the hospital system who are going to refuse to be involved uh, in abortions. And as well, this, this is an important point. 133 women have sued the state in terms of adverse uh, effects in relation to abortions that they have had in this state. And yet that is not considered in this report. I think the and obligation is um, to, to, for, for suitably qualified doctor to perform terminations where there's an immediate risk to a pregnant woman's life or health. Yeah, like, that's when if, they would be obliged to do it. If, if there is an immediate... And if there's an immediate uh, risk to the, to the life of, of a mother, the mother should have every single operation necessary so that she survives. And that was the case... Uh, previously. But one really important point here, and this, this goes back to the fact that this is an ideological uh, chasing of access. It, it, it talks about, in the cases of fetal fatal abnormality, that the, it should reduce it from two obstetricians to uh, diagnose the mother okay. to one. Now, that is reducing the level of care that that mother has. And, and I, I know of mothers who have had healthy babies aborted 
under fetal fatal abnormality okay. in this Alana. state uh, Alana, in late term um, abortions. On all of this, I guess all of this now is being sort of thrown to the, the, the Oireachtas um, Health Committee to discuss further. Uh, there may not be change by the end of the summer. It's, it's likely to roll on a bit. What are your personal concerns about that? Well, I think it's really important that we hear a clear timeline for the Oireachtas Health Committee and that we do see progress before the summer. We need to see these changes because women are still travelling and that's the bottom line. They are still travelling, particularly in the case of fatal fetal anomaly. That accounts for half of all travel to the UK okay. and we have to well, give that care at home. OK, we'll have to leave it there. That is it from us. My thanks to all our panellists tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Good night. Take care. <laughs>